0: What is up, folks? My name is Justin Khanna. Welcome to The Emulsion, episode 21. Today we're going to chat about some reasons to not open a restaurant, chef health, mental health, physical health, Instagram food, and what is up with Vespertine, that new place in L.A. Also popping up under a bridge. That's going to be another little interesting end story. Great to have you here. We're back on our normal location. If you missed it, I missed it too. Uh, And I say that because we had our first mobile show and our fourth kind of interview on the show last week. If you haven't checked that out, definitely make sure you head over and do that. And I know, I know I don't normally hype up um, like the prior week's show, but I'm doing it now because I want to make sure that I'm doing this thing right. Uh, Last week's interview was the first time that I actually had a show that I was, um, it's not to say that I, I, I wasn't that I was happy with it. I was happy with it, but but it's not that I was not happy with the shows before it. It's just last week's show, structure-wise, was ideally where I want to take the direction of um, the interviews that I do. I know it went a little long. I'd also kind of like your thoughts on that. Make make sure that I'm like in the time frame that you like to see um, with podcasts, but I-, I really, really loved the combo where it was news plus an interview, and we kind of like Did a little bit of back and forth with that going on. Um, I really, really enjoyed that part. But, um, we actually didn't get into all of the stories that I wanted to cover because I didn't want it to get too long for your guys' sake. I think it went for, um, like 75 minutes on the last episode, um... Whereas most of these episodes are like 25 to 35 minutes, so I guess that makes sense. Two people, double, double the length of time. Uh, but I felt comfortable cutting it then. Um, this show, admittedly, doesn't take up a ton of my time, uh, and I do that on purpose, right? I've committed to one show per week, and no matter what, and I want to make sure that um, what I do with this show and the time that I do commit to it provides as much value to you as possible. So here's how you can help me... Um, as I'm kind of like navigating where this podcast is going to go, I would love for you to leave a comment with what you like about the show, what you don't like, what you'd like to see, uh, where you listen to it as well would really, really help me out. Um, I'm also super psyched to announce that today is going to be the first episode of The Emulsion on Anchor, uh, which, if you haven't noticed, is kind of making leaps and bounds in the audio field. Um, and just to be clear, I know a lot of you watch this on Facebook or YouTube, but that segment, that me recording part of the show is meant to be purely like a behind the scenes, uh, plus kind of a convenience thing where you can get involved in the, in live streams and ask questions, suggest stories, uh, that is the foundation of why I started doing these shows, uh, live streamed, but, um, It is the the behind-the-scenes process of recording the final product, which is the podcast itself. Um, And I'm going to admit right off the bat that I'm going to kind of change my spiel for the show as well. Um, And I want you guys to know it first before I kind of put it out there to anyone else text-wise. But my tagline for this show, uh, I've decided, is going to be um, a chef's perspective on what's worth sharing through an ambitious culinary career. Because that's what it is, right? I don't and have never kind of boasted about being a know-it-all on this show, but I, I, I have like pulling from the other direction. I have dedicated a huge percentage of my life to this field, and I really feel like I have opinions that bring value by being shared. Uh, and I want to emphasize that I'm still moving forward in my own career. And these stories, the ones that we're going to cover today, and the ones that we cover every week on this show, are the ones that I pay attention to as I'm kind of progressing and still learning. So the. It's the show uh, I, I wish I would have had when I was a culinary school kid. That's basically what the emulsion is. And when I was first starting out at restaurants, I, I never had a resource like that. But, you know, back to you. Please, please let me know how I can make this more valuable to you. Uh, and as I look forward to that, we'll get right into it. Today's beverage. Um, admittedly, I made a really nice cup of Aero, Aero, um, Aero Press coffee. Um, but today... Uh, <laughs> I, I drank it all. I drank it all as I was researching the show. It's in my favorite mug too, J8. Um, so, so this is like um, like a bottle of cold brew Starbucks coffee. Um, got it for free at a little Fourth of July celebration, so that was nice. But it's not it's not great. It's not bad. But that's what we're drinking on the show as we as we kind of get into the stories. So I want to start with a topic that has not. Only been in the news a ton lately, but it's also really related to a story that one of you guys actually sent to me, and that is the health implications on uh, the life of a chef. Um, And this goes into, like, mental and physical health as well. So let's start with the article right off the bat. Uh, Amanda, who's a viewer, a friend of mine, sent this to me, uh, so thanks to Amanda. It's from LA Weekly, uh, and it's all about Ari Tamor, who is a chef in LA who wrote this article Himself, uh, that LA Weekly published, um, and they titled it "I'm a Chef Who Walked Away from a Dream Restaurant, and Here's Why." Uh, so you might have seen this in your news feed over the weekend, or even last week, as per usual. It's available for you to read yourself in the show notes. Uh, but it's a story all about how Ari and his partner opened up a restaurant called Alma in 2012. Um, and what basically happened is he burned himself out, right long hours, time away from family, personal events happening and prioritizing the restaurant over the people and moments in 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 his life basically put him in a place. Where it was time to open another restaurant, and he openly admitted to his partners and his, and his investors that he wasn't ready. Uh, and what happened was that the outcome of that for him was just open and loving support, right? Like everybody rallied around him, made sure that he he had everything that he needed, which he admits he didn't think was go- he was going to receive. And I'm going to kind of hammer that point home with a, a quote from the article here. Quote, many others aren't so lucky. Completely alone, they turn to drugs, alcohol, or other forms of self sabotage. If I was going to lead young men and women, I had to change. I had to set the example that while work is important, there will be so many moments that cooking cannot prepare them for. I needed to show and more importantly, demand that they take care of themselves as people, make time for friends, for books, for museums, and travel to prepare so that when these moments find them, they're ready. What's good? What what good is being the best cook in the world if you can't weather the storm? End quote. And we've talked about this on this on the show before. I don't want to kind of beat a dead horse here, but if if you know me, you know that I'm not really a drugs or an alcohol guy. I never I never have been. And with these other stories coming out, right? Like I've left a, a piece from New York Times that they published last week. It, it's this is in the show notes when. They did a whole piece about Sean Brock and him kind of selling his vintage bourbon collection and going completely sober and him talking about the problems that he's dealt with uh, with that. And then if you're a fan of Chris Costantino, there's literally a piece I saw this week about him and how he feels about his mental health and we're getting to this amazing point now where I'm kind of like fitting in with the cool kids now, right? Like I got so much shit in my career for not being the stereotypical chef, like not doing drugs and not going out and getting drunk like after service and then coming in super tired. And on a completely not selfish note, right, like I'm genuinely so happy that other individuals in this career can kind of see that there's another way. And there's these people that are big players kind of um, taking the high road on it in that way and that by kind of putting your own oxygen mask on first and then making sure that you're good kind of like mentally and physically means that you can kind of help other people out even better uh it's one of those like a rising tide raises all ships kind of uh cliches but it's it's so true this mic stand is not gonna work we're just gonna let that stay down we're not gonna play with that on this episode um and it doesn't do anything but make me happy. I, I know it's kind of a shot in the dark, but if you, you are someone that is in need or, you know, you need someone to talk to, I would hope that, you know, I can help you in whatever way that I can. Uh, hopefully, you know how to get in touch with me. Uh, that's usually in the show notes regardless. Um and I have no doubt that, as you know, kind of as small as this little community is here on the emulsion, I, we would also have your back with whatever struggles you're going through. Um, I'm a firm believer that positivity wins, and optimism is underrated. And I, I'm, I'm a thousand percent more comfortable being patient and kind of playing chess with my career rather than checkers and winding up in a headline, basically, about having a crisis affect me the way that it's, you know, the way that it's currently being written about. Uh, I'm going to quote this uh, article one more time and kind of uh, bookend the story. Quote, socially and politically, we are in a moment filled with anger and violence. What we need are real leaders. Restaurants are one of the few meritocracies left in this country, places where talent and hard work are still regularly rewarded, where someone can come from nothing and drag themselves to the top. But we must teach our cooks the value of community, teach them how to cope with stress and depression and support them. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, we're back. Perfect. So this is going to have to be a little bit of an editing process for me, but that's okay. We're going to just jump right back into it. Um, so where were we? That's a really good question. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm continuing to quote uh, the article here. So socially and politically, we are in a moment filled with anger and violence. What we need are real leaders. Restaurants are one of the few meritocracies left in this country, places where talent and hard work are regularly rewarded, where someone can come from nothing and drag themselves to the top. But we, much t- we must teach our cooks the value of community, teach them how to cope with stress and depression and support them when they need to prioritize their lives at the cost of our menus and our legacies. So that's the end of that story. Next up is a really interesting piece all about Instagram food. So here is kind of a a quote to start. Over the top, intensely trend-driven and visually arresting, Instagram food is almost always something to be obtained rather than cooked or created. It's elusive and aspirational, something instantly recognizable yet only minimally available. The product of a long line— or a transcontinental flight. Its appearance in your timeline signals status. You went to the place, you, <clears throat> you got the thing. You're the kind of person who lives that kind of life. Instagram food almost has nothing to do with consumption as a gastronomic endeavor. Instead, consuming Instagram food means acquiring it and sharing proof of your acquisition. And to end the quotable section of the article here, the ooze of a buttery grilled cheese, the drip of a just-punctured yolk down the side of a double-stacked burger, snow-drifted with truffles, a magically pink drink swirled with neon blue, a four-scoop ice cream cone melting in the sultry summer heat, these images are intended to elicit visceral, lizard-brain responses of hunger and desire. But somewhere in between screen and mouth, things often go left. Tall burgers, as it turns out, defy the reality of the human jaw. Unicorn frappuccinos sold out quickly, even though I never once saw anyone say they were delicious. Raindrop cakes taste like nothing, galaxy donuts stain your fingers, charcoal ice cream turns your teeth black, and sushi burritos fall apart. And this is kind of something... <laughs> that was very well written, don't you think? Uh, I hope you're hungry. Uh, <clears throat> and he kind of hears where I stand on this story, because I can look at it from both sides, right? And that's one of the reasons why I felt... Kind of compelled to cover it, um, more or less. So from my consumer standpoint, I definitely, I I do take photos of my food, and I, I will do an Instagram story on certain experiences when I'm out, and definitely, definitely post photos to my feed that I really stand behind, right? So you should be able to go back in my history, and if you're like, hey, I'm in Chicago, uh, Justin really loved that breakfast spot a few months ago, and then boom! You can scroll back through my feed, see the photo of it, and then I tell you exactly what I ordered. It's geotagged, the restaurant is tagged, and you can hopefully have just as cool of an experience yourself. I hopefully like set yourself up for success in the, in that way. Uh, unicorn drink was a horrible human mistake. Uh, yeah, that that that's a very very valid comment coming from Facebook. Um, As far as kind of like the part about throwing the food away, I'm completely kind of flip-flopped on this one, right? I only care about how it tastes. I want to kind of see why things get popular. I do it for my own personal kind of research. What part of a, you know, unicorn frappuccino makes people want to stand in line? Uh, And yes, a lot of it is the reasons that get touched on in the article. Hype is real. Quality is subjective. Uh, It's definitely something that I need to kind of continually come to grips with as we kind of transition into this weird internet in real life, uh, also kind of story. Um, but for me, I can't really fathom standing in line for something, getting a photo and then throwing it away or like having two bites of it and then throwing it away, especially if it's food. Uh, but if there's anything to kind of be taken from when I flip the coin onto my chef perspective, it's kind of prioritizing, uh, those core principles that have always been around forever. So like flavor and execution, over like the flash and the trends will will always win in the long term right so a huge flip a, a huge uh, that huge riff of things that you can order uh, off of the list that Amanda Mull, the author here kind of went on I guarantee you and I will laugh about in 12 to 24 months right we're, we're already laughing about the 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 unicorn frappuccino uh, Damien says it's the herd mentality which is very very true, you know. We're 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 sheep in that way. Um but that's the punchline to me, right? It's it's a short-term game to kind of get a trendy dish popular, especially because with a restaurant you have to kind of build an entire ecosystem around it, right? You have to hire staff, you have to have a space and with the exception of people like uh, Dominique Ansel, right, who has kind of built an entire career on coming up with these amazingly Instagrammable dishes. I literally just saw a Facebook video today of his, his watermelon soft serve uh, that he's kind of serving out of a watermelon slice, which is crazy. Uh, but if you can't do that, you're on a train that's going to kind of kick you off real soon if you can't manage to consistently, creatively innovate. Um, and then flipping it back again, I completely respect the power of kind of Instagramifying your dishes right? On my dish of the day show that I do on YouTube, I often plate it up in two different ways and then ask for your opinion. Uh, Kind of see what you, what draws you in, what makes you be like, I got to try that or what is that, right? So the flavors won't change. It tastes exactly the same, but to me, I think it's just such an amazing time to be alive, right? Where I'm only optimistic about it. Let's not really forget that you used to rely on things like newspapers and magazines to finally see photos of uh, other people's food, right? And then bloggers made it a little bit more accessible, but you were kind of at the mercy of where they ate and when. But now it's 100% open, right? You can go to a location on Instagram, click on that, and then kind of see exactly what they're serving up to the minute because we're all posting about it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I'd really, really love to know. Uh, go ahead and leave them in the comments wherever you are. If you're not in a place that can do comments, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, next up is actually a follow-up story to one that we covered here on the emulsion a few weeks ago. Uh, and that's about Vespertine. So Jordan Kahn's place in LA that's super close to being accessible to us, you know, normal folk. Uh, I think they're doing friends and family, uh, openings right now. uh, That'll also be at a steep price, but we're going to get to that in a second. But I think this might be a piece where I start to kind of alienate some of you. Uh, But first, let's talk about the article. And the article is called 20 Questions That Explain Vespertine, LA's Trippy New Tasting Menu Destination. So I'm literally going to go off script here and open the article and read you a few of the questions. And I want you to kind of listen closely to the way that they get asked. Um, So where is Vespertine? How much does dinner cost? How many courses does that get me? What can I expect from the food? Has Jordan said anything about specific dishes that I can latch onto here? What does Vespertine look like? Who designed it? What about music? Um, what uh, has anyone gone inside yet? Uh, and, the, and the list goes on. There's there's 20 of them here. Um, and this hopefully kind of ties into the Instagram piece I just talked about, dealing with that kind of divide between consumer and chef. And I can already kind of feel the, this rant coming on. So let's try to be objective for, for a second here. Restaurants, especially when you kind of drift into the high end of the spectrum, have adopted ticketing systems in favor of reservation-based systems because it's great. It makes sense, right? No, less no-shows, prepaid dinners— Uh, advance notice to who's coming, etc. But there's been close to 0.0 upside for the guest itself. They pay the same amount with the exception of the few places that have kind of had fluctuating times and price models, which if you're not familiar, it's a supply and demand thing, right? So if you want 7pm on a Friday, it's going to cost you more than 5pm on a Wednesday just based on when everybody wants to eat. But where I'm going with this is because there's still apparently six million questions that go along with an experience like this. Expectations have to be set because the restaurants truthfully and way more with a spot like Vespertine, they don't put out a lot about themselves. They want to be known as this place that's kind of like shrouded in allure and, and mystery. Uh, and in reality, they're kind of just confusing people and making themselves a little bit more inaccessible. Um and sometimes these chefs are the ones, at least back in the day, that wouldn't let anyone take photos of their food. I think we all remember Brooklyn Fair when that was a thing. Uh, but the thought that someone in a 2017 environment would rely, not just rely, that's a poor word, force, they would force word of mouth to be the only marketing for their business when they only serve 22 guests in a night is is blasphemy to me. It, it, I can't even fathom that, right? No, No one goes to see... I mean pick an artist like the, the weekend no one goes to see the weekend which can we just say is is more than 250 dollars I checked uh Anna wanted to go see him recently uh plus you don't get fed plus you have to stand on you, you have to stand there for like three hours packed with other people like sardines nobody asks what can I expect from the music or how many songs does 250 dollars get me why, right? Because it's an experience going to see the weekend, and you've already kind of established that you like what he's doing. And if restaurants are going to market themselves like shows and concerts, to me, I would like to see them treat themselves a little bit more like performers and musicians, uh, allow a little bit more of that um, behind-the-scenes access, um, to hopefully answer a little bit of your questions on Vespertine. Um it is a two-story structure separated into four levels where there is no traditional walls supporting the building. There's a patio, so you can sit outside if you want. $250 is inclusive of a, of a, of a 20% service charge uh, or tax, putting the price at $646 for dinner for two, not including beverage. Um, and a press release from the restaurant uh, says that the 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 menu would comprise 18 or more courses. And if you want to read a little bit more about it or you're planning on going Uh, to vespertine you're going to be in the la area go ahead and check out that article um i just thought it was an an interesting you know an interesting it was frustrating it was frustrating and interesting i just wanted to give my two cents on it uh hopefully you feel better now i certainly do i kind of like to segue into our non-industry story for the week uh if you have any questions and you're watching live on facebook right now go ahead and leave those um as we talk about this final story um and that's coming from Mark Zuckerberg, so Facebook co-founder who posted a video on a project he he has going now called Aquila, which you you kinda have to see it. It's it's a flat, thin, like glider style drone in a sense, which if you know me, I, I love I love my drones. Um, And in this test, this video that he posted, uh, it flew an hour and 46 minutes over the desert and landed in Arizona. They successfully gathered a lot of data to help optimize the efficiency. Um, And maybe I should tell you a little bit more about what it is. It is a unmanned airplane that will apparently fly for months at a time. So they need to kind of make sure all the details get right before they put it up for that long. But when it's ready, it will be, they will basically create a fleet of these little drones, these solar-powered planes that will beam internet connectivity across the world, uh, giving the stats that 4 billion people still can't access the internet. And, you know, to quote it, one day Aquila will help change that. So there's a great saying uh, when you're kind of in the heat of the moment in a kitchen and stuff's happening and high intensity is happening and someone says it's just food. This is one of those moments where I kind of step back and I'm like, I really love what I do, but I'm kind of just a dude who cooks... Like, solving problems like this, and it's not even a problem, right? Nobody's dying without the internet, but providing an opportunity like internet access to billions of people is, to me, it's really inspiring, and I also feel kind of super grateful to have access to this medium and to make it possible for you to hear my voice, share my ideas, and have, have it possible to, like, have you comment. Yeah, let's beta test it. Uh, and for you to be able to have a conversation with me. It's a little a little warm and fuzzy and non-industry story for this week, for sure. So with that, this this has been uh, the Emulsion episode twenty one. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a couple more things before you take off. I love hearing from you guys, giving my take on stories that matter to you. So if you see one of those pop up this week, go ahead and I hope you'll think of me. Send it send it my way, and we'll talk about it on episode twenty two, which will be next week. Uh, so without further ado, my name's Justin Kana. Have a good one.